My name is Jessica Hubbard, and I have been honored to be a part of Veronica's Voice for the last seven years. Veronica's Voice helps women to find freedom out of the life of sexual exploitation. And I want to tell you why this is so important. Five years ago, I received a call in the crisis line. A social worker at Research Hospital was calling for a woman who needed to connect with us. As I walked through the door of her room, I immediately realized that the life on the streets had crippled her, even though we had never met. I sat down next to her bed, and I introduced myself, grabbed my pen and the intake papers, and I asked, what is your name? Her name was Laura. It was just a simple question that opened up the floodgates to her story. I had a hard time keeping her focused on just the routine questions, like how old are you, when is your birthday, how long have you been in the life of prostitution? I quickly realized she was not going to be able to receive the traditional case management that our women were normally given. She needed something more personal. A friend. I took a deep breath and placed my intake papers to the side and asked what happened. She said, a guy picked me up on the avenue and drove down the street to an alleyway. Can you tell me what he looks like, I asked. He was an old white guy with a really kind face. What was he driving, I asked. A truck, a nice big truck. Everything was fine. I did the date, and then I asked him to take me back to where he picked me up. Laura's eyes filled with tears of anger and confusion. The old kind-faced gentleman refused to take her back to where he had picked her up. His anger grew with every suggestion Laura said. She was scared of the sudden rage that had came over him. She was stepping out of the truck when he shot her in the back and left her to die. As a result, I was now sitting in front of a woman who was quadriplegic and had a tracheotomy. Her life had changed drastically in that one moment. Laura had two things left in this world a small amount of movement in her hand, and her voice. People in Lakeland heard my cries for help. As I was visiting her weekly in the hospital and her transition to and her transition to a nursing home was in the works, you gave her snacks, a CD player with headphones, T-shirts and sweats, and really a piece of what friendship truly looks like. Laura was hysterical. She loved Taco Bell and chocolate. And I believe that I may have been her only friend. The nursing homes in Kansas City were not equipped to handle her care. So after seven months, I said my goodbyes to Laura. And she was sent to Keokuk, Iowa. I thank God every day for giving Ace Pipe where my husband worked a contract in Keokuk. His timing was perfect. I was no longer able to see her, but my husband Brad was. 
He just happened to be a part of that crew. Brad was there to be her support. Four years ago, on this exact day, I called Laura to ask if she would like to have a group of women in her area come do a Bible study with her. Of course, she said yes. But it is what she said last that I will never forget. She told me she was ready to come home, that I'd take good care of her. I knew in my mind that there was no facility here in the Kansas City area that would take her. But I still said, soon, Laura, you'll be home soon. The next day, I received a call from where she was. They had found her unresponsive, and she was in a coma. I asked the nurse to put the phone to her ear, and I said, It is okay, Laura. Go on home. On Good Friday the next day, she went on home. Now let me shed some light on the struggles of the women that are still out there, the ones that will benefit today from our new housing program supported financially by your participation in the 2020 campaign. This, there is no, not one, transitional housing program in Kansas City that will give women like this a place to heal and grow rent-free for two years. We will. Magdalene Casey will. Veronica's voice, the survivor-led pioneer in the anti-sex trafficking movement, we will do that, and we need you, just like Laura needed us. I opened my front door one morning, and there she was. Laura's ashes had been mailed to me, the only contact she had. Veronica's voice is Laura's final resting place. But Magdalene Casey will be many women's new beginning. My name is Jessica Hubbard, and this is my story. Well, that's what's at stake, everyone. That's just one story of what it's all about. Everyone, this is it. Next week, we make our three-year financial commitments to the 2020 Financial Challenge. The financial commitments that we're going to make to 2020 will be above and beyond our normal tithes. They support things like this, what you've just heard, plus ministry to the inner city, plus sharing the gospel in the People's Republic of China, plus investing in future generations of followers of Jesus here in this church as we finally finish our K-4 through room and invest in the river for folks in their 20s. Now, 2020 is different from the tithes and offerings that we took just a short time ago during that worship song, because while we expect all members of Lakeland to tithe, 2020 is for those who are willing and want to, because it's above and beyond. Now, having said that, I, I do recommend that everyone think about pledging something. And here's why I give you that piece of advice, and I would not say this if I hadn't seen this over the last 15 years. For the folks who don't pledge anything, something irritating starts to happen to them. See, we talk about this 2020 thing now for the next 36 months, and at least once a month we talk about it, and the folks who don't pledge anything, it's irritating to you. It becomes irritating. 
Because every four, three, four weeks, oh, here we go with this again. I already said I didn't want to do this. Why do they keep talking about this? You're, you're in for about 36 to 40 days like that. And uh, I've seen people leave the church over it. They're just like, you won't quit talking about it. Whereas, if you'll give $3, that's $1 a year. Every time it comes up, this is be what happens to you. Yeah, I'm giving to that. What's going on? Oh, yeah, I, I, I'm part of that. Tell me what's next. What are we getting ready to do? What's been happening? Praise the Lord. Cost you three bucks. Wide, wide difference. Wide, wide difference. So, so include, I encourage everyone to think about, I think about something. History says that most of you will give something to 2020, and many of you are going to make a great sacrifice of generosity next Sunday morning. And that's good, because when you live in the richest nation on earth... Giving to charity is a good thing to do. But this morning, I want to address something that seemed particularly important to Jesus. And that is more than doing a good thing, is the why. Why are you doing it? Jesus seemed most interested in that. So I used to be a science teacher, and I love these anatomy models. I know they creep most people out. This one probably creeps you out. It's got an intestines on it. But uh, I love these things. And this, uh, this, this giving model represents various reasons why people give, and I want to examine these today because some of these are good and honorable. Some of these are pretty good but have some risks that you need to be advised of, and some of these reasons to give are downright dangerous to your soul. So let's take a look at various reasons to give. According to Jesus, it's possible to do the right thing for the wrong reason, even to do charity from a corrupted place. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. He says, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they've received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. So evidently, they had folks back then who would blow trumpets at offering times so everyone would turn and look and see them putting the money in. Jesus says they were giving just to show off, just to be admired. So if you were going to give out of showing off to the 2020 campaign, you'd probably like a plaque. You'd probably like us to say, hey, so-and-so is giving a gift in excess of $10,000 over the next three years to repair the parking lot, which puts our best foot forward for new people who are coming to our church for the very first time. Therefore, we're going to rename it the Mr. and Mrs. Look at Me parking lot. (laughs) Ted Turner was the person who uh, got Forbes magazine to not just publish the most the richest people in the world, but also to publish a list called the most giving people in the world. And I saw him interviewed once. And uh, someone said, Ted, do you really think these billionaires will give just to move up higher on the list? And in his Ted Turner way, he said, absolutely they will. He said, absolutely, those guys wouldn't give a dime while they were still alive except to try to get up above so-and-so. 
Now, the good thing about that list is that it has probably generated billions of dollars of giving to charity. But the bad thing about that list for the people who are on it for that reason, and there's a lot of people on it, and I don't know their motivations, but for the ones who gave just to move above so-and-so, Jesus says they did it only to get attention. They got attention, and so they got what they came for. There is no need for God to add anything further to that, and he won't. He says, those who give in secret, those folks are doing it for the Lord, and it is they that the Lord rewards. So our model today has this dazzling smile, this dazzling smile that says, look at me and be impressed. But that's not a good reason to give, so we're going we're gonna to take off the smile. Let's talk about another reason. Some of you this morning are feeling a twisting in your gut. Right? The 2020 campaign is going to provide beans and rice, one good meal a day for over 50 families in Anapra, Mexico. Well, good grief. How can you not give to that? I mean, I'm not the richest person in my neighborhood, but I never have to worry about one meal a day. So I guess I better give something to it, even though I really, really don't want to. That's guilt. That's guilt. Guilt can come from a variety of places, and you feel it in the gut, but it always ends up the same. Guilt eventually breeds resentment. So you give that gift to 2020, and part of it goes to a NAPRA, and then a little critical voice begins to develop out of your gut. This little voice helps you notice things like, why are we investing money in the river, a ministry for people who are out of college? Don't they have their own jobs to pay for their own ministry? And that parking lot, there's big decorative boulders in those islands. I happen to know they charge per pound for rocks like that. I bet you could have bought a lot of beans and rice with what you paid for those big rocks. And, and what about that picture from a NAPRA they keep flashing up there? Do we have that picture that we see? Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty nice sweater she's got on there and, and a ring on her finger. I mean, if one meal a day is a problem, maybe she ought to hawk that sweater and that ring. And then you hate yourself for thinking stuff like that. And then you realize church is the place I come where I think ugly thoughts that make me hate myself. And so... You quit coming to church. And then it's all downhill after that. We all know what happens when you separate from community. Giving out of guilt is a terrible reason to give. So let's get rid of this guy's guilty gut. Plus, it's creepy to be in a church with intestines on the stage. Yeah, in fact, why don't we strip out all of this emotion and let's just talk about practicality, okay? The hands. Let's get something done. I like practicality. So can we be practical for a moment? Let's get practical. Look, our church budget is not big enough to carry our church mortgage unless we eliminate half of our staff. Then we could do it. Well, you know where that's going to hit because most of Lakeland staff is serving youth and children and we happen to like our super deluxe youth and children program with college interns and the whole nine yards. And we like at least two out of our three pastors. So I guess we're going to have to keep giving to this 2020 thing if we want to keep this building 
and two out of the three pastors and the youth folk. Practically, it's the best choice because if we don't, then our other choice is to go to another church or radically alter the way this one functions. So let's just be practical, everyone, and give the 2020 next week. Practicality is very simplifying. Practicality gets the job done. But unless you're an easygoing person, which some of you are, (laughs) practical thinking also breeds a certain kind of nitpickiness. Now, Jesus' disciples, by the end of his ministry, were starting to get this way. Matthew 26, we are right up to the Passion Week, and, and here's what the disciples are doing with their practical thinking. It says, Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and poured it over his head. The disciples were indignant when they saw this. What a waste, they said. It could have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, replied, Why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing for me? You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. She has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deeds will be remembered and discussed. All right, let's remember and discuss them. Things that have to do with beauty and worship usually go out the window first with us practical-minded people. I'm one of these practical, get-it-done people, and I'm telling you from experience, we practical folks can become joyless, gray people. I want to share with you some actual suggestions that have come to me from my practical brothers and sisters during previous financial challenges. Uh, One, pastor, why do we decorate for Christmas around here? Why don't you just get a used wreath? In fact, I have one at home. I wish I had some duct tape up here. I'll get that second service. Just hang that off the front of the uh, pulpit there and call it good. Merry Christmas. (laughs) Now Now we're that much closer to not needing a financial challenge anymore. All right? Let me give you another real one that came to me. Uh, Pastor, why do we give out these fruit snacks in early childhood? Why don't we just email everyone who has kids and tell them, just bring your own fruit snacks? Well, there, that'd get it done. That's super practical. And I can't think of anything classier than when you invite your boss to church for the very first time, having to add this addendum. Oh, by the way, if you have toddlers, can you bring your own fruit snacks? Because we're trying to save some money around here. Super classy. Who wants some fruit snacks? These things are awful. Oh, hey, that's it. Yes. All right. If you eat those things, you are also preparing your body for burial. All right. But here was my favorite. Here was my favorite. Pastor, I don't mind sacrificing for the church. But why are we using two-ply toilet paper? I'm not making, I can't make this up. I can't make this up. Think of what we would save, this person was suggesting, if we used that Bible paper thin plasticky stuff that they use in public schools. 
This is the same reason why you and I, for 13 years of our life, held it for eight hours a day <laughs> till we could run home from the bus stop and hopefully compete our back, complete our backed up business before He-Man started. In the church that I came to Christ in, every week after communion, they would take the unused communion juice from those little plastic glasses and pour them back into the bottle to be reused next week. However, that church had so many elderly folk who suffered from osteoporosis, they couldn't drain one of those cups all the way to the bottom. So some of what was being poured back into those bottles had been drank out of. Excessive practicality kills churches. Once you get a church down to used wreaths and one-ply toilet paper and bring your own fruit snacks, there is not much interesting happening there anymore. Hands are good for getting things done, but hands don't often think of worship, and they're not a good enough reason to do our giving. So let's put the practicality over here for a little bit, and let's talk about duty. Now we're getting to it, duty. The law, not that kind of duty. (laughs) Followed too closely on the heels of that toilet paper illustration, didn't it? D-U-T-Y. I was afraid all week that would happen, and it did. All right. Look, the law and the prophets say to give. Malachi chapter 3, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Here's what Jesus said about tithing. First, a caution. He says, you hypocrites, you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. But you ignore the more important aspects of law, of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. So full participants, that's what we call members here at Lakeland, agree to give. So give. It's an act of duty. It is an honorable duty. And it is not optional. Jesus also said in Matthew 25, For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. When you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. And this 2020 campaign is going to fund surgeries and medical supplies for women in Africa. And the scripture says when we do that, we are rendering that service to Christ himself. What can be more honorable than doing one's duty? I respect duty very highly. I wish more people in our culture respected the things that we have a duty toward. Your family and the children you bring into the world. Your country. And yes, service to our creator. But after... 20 years as a Christian, I have observed that even duty reaches its limits. People who give out of a strong sense of duty also begin to say things like this. There is not, many, there's not as many people giving in this congregation as there should be. Why am I one of the only ones doing my duty? 
I feel like we aren't on the same team. I'm like I'm in an army, but my entire unit has deserted, and I'm left holding the fort with just myself and a few others. Why are people who make twice what I make giving half what I give, or on the other side of the equation, why am I duty-bound to give more than someone who took a lower-paying job just because I went to college and grad school? These are all dark thoughts, but they are the temptations of those who give solely out of duty. Duty makes sense in the head because it's true. We do have a duty, but something about it doesn't get us all the way to the place that Jesus was talking about. And so, as great as duty is, we're going to put the make sense, do your job thing to the side for just a little bit. And that leaves us with the heart. Again and again in the Gospels, Jesus says that God is after our heart. Matthew chapter 6, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Matthew 12, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. Mark 7, it's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You're defiled by what comes out of your heart. Love, Jesus says, is the summary of everything. In Matthew chapter 22, someone's trying to play stump the rabbi with Jesus. An expert in the religious law tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Now, if you ask me that question, I'd say, look, there's 39 books in this thing. They're all important. You can't just pick out a most important one. But Jesus didn't. Jesus said, yeah, I'll take that on. I can summarize that for you. Here it is. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Love summarizes all of it, Jesus says. And the things we do for love, we'll do crazy things out of love. Let me share with you a story of something crazy done for love. This is a turn-of-the-century story, um, turn of the last century, I suppose, called Ben in Virginia. This is written by Gwen Williams. True story. In 1904, a railroad camp of civil engineers was set up near Knoxville, Tennessee. The L&N campsite had tents for men, a warm campground, a good cook, and the most modern surveying equipment available. In fact, working as a young civil engineer for the railroad at the turn of the century presented only one real drawback, a severe shortage of eligible women. Benjamin Merle was one such engineer a tall, reticent man with a quiet sense of humor and a great sensitivity for people. Ben enjoyed the nomadic railroad life. His mother had died when he was only 13, and this early loss caused him to become a loner. Like all other young men, Ben sometimes longed for the companionship of a young woman, but he kept his thoughts between himself and God. On one particularly memorable spring day, a marvelous piece of news was passed around the camp. The boss's sister-in-law was coming to visit. The men knew only three things about her. She was 19 years old. 
She was single, and she was pretty. By mid-afternoon, the men could talk of little else. Her parents were sending her to escape the yellow fever that was invading the deep south, and she'd be there in only three days. Someone found a tintype of her, and the photograph was passed around with great seriousness and grunts of approval. Ben watched the preoccupation of his friends with a smirk. He's teased them for their silliness over a girl they'd never even met. Just look at her, Ben. Take one look and tell us you're not interested, one of the men retorted. But Ben only shook his head and walked away chuckling. The next two days found it difficult for the men of the L&N engineering camp to concentrate. The train would be there early Saturday morning, and they discussed their plan in great detail. Freshly bathed, 20 heads of hair, carefully greased and slicked back. They would all be there to meet the train and give the young woman a railroad welcome she would not soon forget. She'd scan the crowd, choose the most handsome of the lot, and have an instant bow. Let the best man win, they decided, and each was determined to be that man. The men were too preoccupied to see Ben's face as he beheld the picture of Virginia Grace for the first time. They didn't notice the way he cradled the photograph in his big hands like a lost treasure or that he gazed at it for a long, long time. They missed the expression on his face as he looked first at the features of the delicate beauty. Then at the camp full of men he suddenly perceived to be his rivals. And they didn't see Ben go into his tent, pick up a backpack, and leave camp as the sun glowed red and sank beyond a distant mountain. Early the next morning, the men of the l n Railroad camp gathered at the train station. Virginia's family, who had come to pick her up, rolled their eyes and tried unsuccessfully not to laugh. Faces were raw from unaccustomed shaves, and the combination of men's cheap cologne was almost obnoxious. Several of the men had even stopped to pick bouquets of wildflowers along the way. At long last, the whistle was heard, and the eagerly awaited train pulled into the station. When the petite, vivacious little darling of the L&N camp stepped onto the platform, a collective sigh escaped her would-be suitors. She was even prettier than the tintype depicted. Then every man's heart sank in collective despair. For there, holding her arm in a proprietary manner and grinning from ear to ear, was Benjamin Merle. And from the way she tilted her little head up the smile into his face, they knew their efforts were in vain. How, his friends demanded of Ben later, did you do that? Well, he said, I knew I didn't have a chance with all you scoundrels around. I'd have to get to her first if I wanted her attention. So I walked to the previous station and met the train. I introduced myself as a member of the welcoming committee from her new home. But the nearest station is 17 miles away, someone blurted incredulously. You walked 17 miles to meet her train? That would take all night. That it did, he affirmed. Benjamin Merle courted Virginia Grace, and in due time, they were married. They raised five children and buried one, a 12-year-old son. They worked together on their relationship by being faithful to one another, training, tra- treating each other with consideration and respect, having a sense of humor, bringing up their children in the knowledge and love of the Lord, and loving one another through some very difficult circumstances. Nana Virginia died when I was 12 and she was 85. When I knew her, she was a shriveled old woman who needed assistance to get around in a walker. But at time, though clouded, those eyes would sparkle and dance with the vivaciousness of a girl my great-grandfather knew. 
They danced especially when she told her favorite story. It was a story about how one man walked 17 miles all night long for a chance to meet the woman of his dreams and claim her for his wife. And the things we do for love, we seldom resent or regret. Out of love, I have bought my kids toys for Christmas that they didn't play with nearly as long as I had hoped. And sometimes my practical hands want to skimp on my kids so I can predict how many minutes that gift's going to last per dollar spent. But love always overwhelms that, and I buy it for them because, oh well, I love these kids. Out of love, I've taken trips with my wife that as the family tightwad, my mind would rather have put into the bank. But I know out of duty that I should take my wife somewhere nice on our anniversary, so I do it. But love always overwhelms duty in the end, and I come to cherish those memories we have made and those places we have gone because I love that girl. Out of love for this church, I have given what for us were large sums of money to this congregation, beyond what practicality and duty called for. And as I stand here looking at you, I know that some of those dollars went to fund some minutes of some sermon Dan gave that opened your eyes to the things of God. And some of those dollars funded some part of some song that on the morning you needed to hear that God has your back you got to sing those words. And some part of those dollars made that children's ministry where your kid and mine, thank God, found a friend just in time. And a meal at the Hope Center for Thanksgiving and a myriad of other things. And I don't regret a moment of it. What was I going to spend those dollars on instead? Carpet. I'll tell you exactly what it was. I love new carpet, guys. I love new carpet. But I don't love new carpet. Not with the kind of love I'm talking about. If we're going to be generous people, and if we're going to last in this thing, we're going to have to answer this question. What do we love with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength? I'll tell you what I love. I love seeing people that this world has given up on, that this world has written off, be changed by Jesus Christ into a person that we all thought was impossible. And that's why I'm going to give next week the 2020, which will support Veronica's voice as they help women escape a life of exploitation. And I'm going to give the Prodale Youth Center next week which serves at-risk teens in our community. So many kids coming out of that program are the first in their family to attend college. I'm going to give to the Global Orphan Project, which will help start businesses in the poorest nation on earth where people can work and earn a wage and keep their own children. I love those things, and I love them with that kind of love. So I'm going to sacrifice and give to it because I know compared to any earthly thing, I will never regret it.
So for anyone who is now thinking about giving to the 2020 campaign, I encourage you to take some time this week and to sit in a quiet place and to ask, what do I love? What do I really love? And then begin to pray. And when guilt wells up inside you during your prayer, push that down and say, God, I know you are not a God of guilt. It's not going to come from there. And when practicality comes up, that's a little better. But put that aside too and say, Lord, leave me beyond the practical here for a moment. And when that sense of duty comes up, that's excellent. But I ask you not to stop there and say, Lord, Show me something that I can give that will take me beyond the feeling of what I should have done into something that makes my heart grow. I want my heart to grow. I want love to grow. I want something I'll never regret. will never lead to resentment. Jesus calls us to a table together to receive his love. The servers want to come forward. On the night he was betrayed, he took some bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you out of love. And then he took a cup and he said, this cup is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And God didn't do this to be practical. Like, well, it's either this or burn the whole planet down. God didn't do this out of guilt. Well, Somebody ought to take care of that sorry lot down there. He didn't do it out of duty. Well, if you make a planet, I guess it's your job to save it. He did it out of love. Jesus said, no greater love than this, that a man should give his life for his friends, and you are my friends, he said. That's love. And that's what we receive when we come forward for communion. So let us stand together and proclaim this mystery of our faith. That Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. We leave an alleluia out during the season of Lent because this is a time of reflection. So we're going to leave a little moment of silence when we would normally say hallelujah. And during that silence, just take a second and say, God, what do I love? And we'll put that hallelujah back in on Easter Sunday. The gifts of God for the people of God. Oh, I'm skipping ahead. Christ, our sacrifice is, our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. The gifts of God for the people of God. Each day may Christ be as real to you as this food and this drink. So this is also for those who are willing and want to. If you want to receive this symbol of Christ's love, you come forward and tear off a piece of bread and dip it in the cup and receive this whole picture of God's love. And then if you'll return to your seats, we have a few more things to do together this morning. Come forward when you're ready.
Hope Center has the Hope Leadership Academy. They have a free medical clinic. They have a charter school. They're working to grow a sustainable, healthy community in an impressed environment where there is very little hope. And the Eastland Project started when the Hope Center needed people to help mow lots in the inner city. And that grew into the Eastland House, where we purchased a house in the inner city. And that has changed into partnering with the Hope Center to help re-neighbor the inner city. We own a 4,500 square foot home at uh, Linwood and Benton, and we've completely gutted this brick row home and have begun putting in the new subfloor, studying out new walls. We're about to put in new electrical, uh, plumbing, HVAC, sheetrock, paint, trim, carpet, flooring, and hopefully house some interns from the Hope Center there. Thank you, Lakeland, for all you've done to help make this possible. Um, I hope you will continue to see this vision and, and see this to completion. In 2006, I piled into an SUV in a remote part of China with Charlie Belt, and thrown in the back seat of the uh, SUV there were two young men. One of them was uh, Jack Leo. Since that time, he's uh, become a pastor, become ordained, and he has um, started and developed multiple training centers in uh, the underground persecuted house church in China. These days, he's in a really an unheard of town in China, gathering young 19-year-olds around him and training them in the Bible and teaching them English. It's good for Lakeland to go outside of its property, to think differently about who is a Christian, who is my brother and sister in Christ, and what can we do to support other Christians around the world. As a pastor told me years ago up in Vancouver who was Chinese, he said, there are those who preach the gospel and there are those who fund the gospel. And, uh, and then he looked at me and he said, do you know Chinese? I said, no, I don't. And I think at that point I knew exactly what Lakeland's role would be is that we're going to be funding the gospel. If you can't speak Chinese, then you better go fund the gospel. And so that's what we've really been doing. We're deep in all the way and would love to have you come do one of these trips as well. Well, let us stand together. For the benediction, I just want to give you some more words from Jesus from Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, Don't worry about these things, saying, What will we eat and what will we drink and what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of heaven. Or it says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. So says the gospel of our Lord Christ Jesus. And in that knowledge, go in peace. Amen.